tell you that because every week he's waiting all week to put it on iTunes and, and, and uh, so I'm not one of these guys that likes titles for messages. I have a concern if I'm honest with you and I, I don't know if I've shared this before but when I look around at Christianity in the West and I look at where we're going and I look at what's happening and so on, um, Jesus said that you would know uh, people by the fruits, you would know where people are at, you would, you would, you would get an idea, a window into where they are by the fruits of their life and so on. And, and I look at a lot of areas of church life today, um, particularly in the West, and, and God knows my heart. I'm not saying this is a judgment, but I do feel like we need to be careful that we don't come to church or approach our Christianity, approach our faith as some kind of uh, purely a self-help or, or, or personal motivation type of a, a concept. That uh, Sometimes I, I read books and I watch uh, ministers and in big mega churches and things. And again, I'm not judging, but I have this thing in me where I, 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 at the end of it, I go, "Have I just engaged with Christ in that process, or did I feel like I was at a Christian Tony Robbins seminar?" And there's nothing wrong with Tony Robbins. I mean, the principles these guys are talking about, I can pretty much take all that stuff and I can take you to this book and I can find you where pretty much all of these motivational speakers, they're all coming from this book. So there's nothing wrong with them. I have no problem listening to them. But the thing is, when I come to church, when I gather around the Word of God, when I gather with believers, I'm looking for more than just a natural transaction that's going to motivate me in my natural world to look better, be better, get fitter, become smarter, aim higher, set bigger goals. I'm looking for more than that. I'm looking for a real connection point with a supernatural God that's interested in my world. I come together and I'm looking for that supernatural transaction. I go to the seminars and I get this great natural transaction of information. And that information goes, but you know what? It comes in. Some of it I do something with, but information comes and goes. Information fills my head and, and drips out the other side. It happens quite often. Ask my wife. She can tell me something, pass me a great valuable piece of information like she did this morning. I came to church a bit earlier. Alan, can you just uh, check if we got uh, the communion stuff ready in the box? I said, and I'm walking in the church as she says this, in the building. And I say to her, yeah, no worries. I'll, I'll let you know in a couple of minutes. I'm going in there. The door's open. I'm just going to have a look. About 45 minutes later, oh, get the text, oh, it's, it's all good, it's all good, you know. 45 minutes later before I... So, so information goes in and out. But when God touches me, when there's a spiritual impartation and connection, that stuff tends to last a bit longer. It's a bit like somebody walking up to you and, and, and saying to you, you know, uh, you know if, I, if, if, if electricity runs through your body, it's going to do all kinds of weird things. You're going to shake and rattle and roll and cause heat and stuff, and you might even fall down and pass out. And you go, that's fantastic information. That's great to know. But when somebody walks up to you and goes, I want to show you something, and hits you with a taser, totally different thing. When you experience the electricity flooding through your body, I'll bet you never forget it. When I was a kid growing up, we used to have... Um, anyone remember the old kettles with the element inside? Remember that? We used to heat our water up and we had the element, the jug element. Well, I remember one time not really realising how incredibly powerful an element could be. And we had an old porcelain jug and the lid was busted off, but we just kept it because that's what we did back then. You didn't throw things out. And so we filled this. I filled it up and I, I, I had the water in and I had my hand on the top and my finger was in the water grabbing a hold of the element as I reached over and turned the on switch on the PowerPoint. You can imagine, I've never forgot that experience. 
And that's the beauty of having an experience. You could have told me till the cows come home about the power of an element and what an element could do and how it could really impact your world if it comes into contact and how it could destroy and how it could build. And And you know what? The information is wonderful. It's great. But it's going to go in one ear and out the other. When I have an experience like that, I certainly don't forget. Anyone else like that? When we have experiences, they impact me more and they shape and change. It's funny that... God, when he wanted to come and communicate himself to the world, he didn't just send a book. He didn't just send down a manual. He came down as a person so that those around him could experience him. They could be with him. They could walk with him. They could see him. When he saw a sick person, he didn't just walk up to them and go, you're really, really sick, and guess what? You could be healed, and here's a book on how to do it, and walk away. He walked up to them and he said, you're really sick, watch me do this one, boys, bang! And he would heal people. When he walked into a room and there was this invisible realm called the spiritual realm, and when he walked into that room, if there was other stuff in there that lived in that same realm but maybe was not on his side, it would get nervous. And, and demons would get all upset and uptight and they would rattle and roll and so on and he would just say, hey, enough of that. Get out of here. And people that were living with that weren't being told, well, you know what, what you need to do is just say a couple of prayers and just read the Bible and and wave it about your head and put a cross on your chest and lay on the floor and mutter. No, Jesus came in and said, I'm going to give you an experience here and I'm going to take that thing away. And he did what he did. And so I believe that God is very big into us experiencing him. God wants us to experience him. As a matter of fact, if you go to the, the end, I think it's the book of could be the end of the book of Luke. I'm just coming to my mind now. But it's, it shows us that after Christ was resurrected, it's the end of Luke or John, after Christ was resurrected, there's a time where he gathers with all of his disciples. And the Bible says, as he stood with them, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. I think it's in John. And then the Bible says, then he opened their eyes that they might understand the Scriptures. He didn't want them to understand this book in the light of pure intellect and knowledge. He said, I'm going to walk with you for a few years and I want you to experience life with me because I want you to know that it's not a philosophy we're talking about. We're talking about a lifestyle. We're talking about life. And so I want you to walk with me for a few years and look at that group of people over there we call the Pharisees. These guys haven't walked with me. They haven't experienced God, but they've got all the knowledge in the world about God, but they've never experienced God. And so they're not even going to recognize me because their eyes are opened up purely intellectually. So what he did with his disciples, he said, come with me, let's walk around, watch me heal, watch me raise the dead, watch me love the unlovable, watch me feed the poor, watch me heal the, the brokenhearted, watch me do all the stuff. And at the end of it, then I'll open up your eyes to this, so then you can read this and understand it in the light of an encounter and an experience with God, because God is an experiential God. He's not a theory. It's not just a nice way to live our life. And we get so easily caught up in that because of the busyness of life. If I did have a title today, I'd call it this. There's something incredibly wrong with us. <laughs> and, and, and it's been a good start to the service because we've already been called lemons, so I don't, I don't necessarily feel like that's a bad thing. There's something wrong with us. Yes, we are lemons. There is something incredibly wrong with us. In John 16, verse 13, it says this. First thing wrong with me, I forgot my glasses. And I don't have an iPad, so I'm... Can you hold that, Jim? <laughs> John 16, 13. This is Jesus talking about the Holy 
Spirit. Now I want you to imagine something, by the way. Let's imagine that we are the disciples, that we're walking with Christ, we're hanging out with God. I mean, that'd be, it would be pretty awesome. How many of you have ever thought, I wish I could have lived back then? Who's ever thought that? I wish I could have been alive back then and, and walked with him and seen. Yet Jesus made this ridiculous statement to his followers. He said, it's better for you that I go away to be with the Father. Because until I go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. What? How ridiculous. Can you imagine being one of the disciples thinking, how could it get any better than this? Seriously, Jesus. I mean, you're, you're, you're calming storms. We're on boats flipping about and you're saying, stop, and it's stopping. There was a dead guy the other day going to a funeral in a coffin. Jesus, you walked up and you touched it. Everyone freaked. You said, get up, and he did. Seriously, you're saying it's better if you go? I'm having a pretty good time right now. Thank you very much. I'd prefer it if you stayed right where you are. But Jesus said, no, it's better. It's going to be better if I go. So you know what? Those guys that were living back then, the, the, the 12 disciples, they're probably up there in heaven with popcorn in hand, looking over the edge, going, I can't take my eyes off that. This is so much better. What these guys have on offer is so much better. The opportunity they have is so much better than we had boys. Quick, come and watch this. Look what God wants to do. Look what he's doing. And I look at that and I go, there's something incredibly wrong here. Because it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't look that way. Jesus said in John 16, 13, However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come... He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Jesus said the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, he will guide us, and he will lead us into all truth. The Spirit of God will guide us and will lead us into all truth. That means this. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27 says this. It's speaking of New Testament conversion, of what happens in our hearts when we give our life to Christ. And it says that I will take out your dead human spirit and I'm going to give you a new spirit. We got it up on the thing? I'll give you a new spirit. And then he says, I'll take of my spirit, the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to place the Holy Spirit inside of your spirit. And I'm going to take out your heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And then it says these words. It says, and then I will cause you to walk in my ways. I will cause you to walk in my ways. In other words, I'm going to place my spirit inside of you, inside here. And when my spirit resides inside of you, the Holy Spirit in you, Jesus put it this way, he will guide you. The Spirit of God is the one that will guide you through life now. Jesus, when Jesus was here, the disciples literally followed him. The crowds literally followed him. Where he went, they went. And he wanted it that way because he was taking them to the right places. He was taking them to the right life. He was taking them to the place they needed to go. But Jesus said, I'm not here now externally to lead you externally. I'm going to come and live inside you and I will cause you to go that way. I will guide you. But I won't be guiding you from out here. I'm going to guide you from here. I'm going to guide you by my spirit. Now, my big concern 
at the moment that I have is that when we turn our church meetings or our gatherings, we focus, and again, let me say again, I'm not against the stuff that these guys are teaching. I, I teach a lot of that stuff myself. I'm not against it. But when we come to God just looking for some kind of self-help thing, if that's all it's about, my fear is that we learn to live more out of our intellect than we do out of our spirit. Our spirit was dead. And when we came to Christ, our spirit came alive. And then God places his spirit inside of us. And he says, I'll cause you. In other words, I'll compel you. There'll be something on the inside that will be leading you. Now, you know what? There are copious, copious amounts of voices out there trying to lead us. There are copious amounts of things out there in the world that are trying to get our attention and guide us and direct us down the path of life. Uh, yesterday when we went to uh, Ash and Cam's wedding, it was a fantastic um, afternoon. I, I, I had the pleasure of marrying them on the beach 10 years ago when they, when they first got married. And uh, yesterday they asked me would I come and do a recommitment uh, ceremony for them. And it was, it, was, it was just as organic as the original day where we stood on the beach uh, with the waves and the wind and pedals and, and who has the rings and camo whistles and dog comes running from a mile down the beach with a ring on. Everything. They, they, they reshared their vows yesterday and again, camo whistles and the dogs come running and they've got the vows in pouches because they love their, their, uh, their dogs. Um, some of you have met their dogs. They, they bring them to church quite regularly. Um, and so it was a wonderful day, wonderful day. And then they had a, a crowd there, so they asked me, would you just, a lot of unchurched people, will you just share a bit of the gospel message? Um, so I prayed and, and shared a little bit of stuff. And what was really amazing, what was really touching was Ash and Cam basically um, turned and they, they began to preach to their own friends. They, 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 at one point there while I was sharing, Camo goes, can I say something? I said, mate, it's your wedding, go for it. He turns to all this crowd and he says to them, I want to tell you something I've learned in the last 10 years. He said, when we, were, when we were, got married and things were really, really great, but then things went a bit... Bit, bit sour patch and, and now it's sort of come back good. But he said, I've made the connection that our marriage was at its strongest and its best when me and Ash were putting God at the centre. When we drift, started to drift away from God at the centre, that's when our marriage went a bit pear-shaped. And all these people have done a journey with him. They know the ups and downs. And, and, and he just looked them in the eye and it was so bold. And I was overcome. I just felt the Holy Spirit just fell right there in this open garden place. And, and everybody's just looking at this guy. And he's this guy that I can't even get him to stand up here and do a communion message. Can't even get him to come up and make an announcement. You know? But yet he stood there in front of all these people and he boldly declared, I would not be where I am right now if it wasn't for Jesus. It was such a beautiful, beautiful moment. But on the way there, we got the directions and we punched them. Uh, 22 Plantation uh, Drive, Ewingsdale. And it's out the back there. And So I, I had a, a rough idea where it was, but didn't know exactly. So I got the, said to Jackie, I'll get the GPS out of the car, get the GPS, I'll plug it in, I'll punch in the coordinates and so on. And then it wasn't working, it wasn't picking up the satellite. So Jackie says to me, well, look, it's okay, I've got a GPS on my phone and it talks to you. So I'll just plug that one in. So she then plugs in her GPS on the phone. And we're waiting for it to click in. And all of a sudden I hear this, this, this woman's voice saying to me, go 200 metres down the road and turn left at blah, blah. Straight away, as soon as that one finished, another female voice, this time coming from Jackie's little GPS, it picked up the satellite, in 250 metres, go down this road and turn right down this street. And then my daughter in the back seat says, Daddy, I think if you go over here, go... And straight away I'm thinking, I've got three female voices, three women in the car telling me where to go. 
This is terrible for a man. It's hard enough having one person sitting there telling you where you should be going. And don't laugh like you don't know what I'm talking about. Us men drive and whether we know where we're going or not, totally irrelevant. We're going to drive anyway. And we'll keep going until we find it. But you ladies know that, so you've got to tell us where we're going. Go down there. And all of a sudden, in the space of 10 seconds, three female voices all speaking at me go this, whoa, hang on a second. And then chuck into the mix there, I've got my own idea about where I should go. And I turned to Jackie straight away and I said, Jackie, because I was still praying about what to share today. And I turned straight away to Jackie and said, there's my sermon illustration right there. There's all these voices competing with each other, speaking at me, trying to lead me, trying to tell me where to go. And in the midst of all of that, I need to be able to discern and listen to the right voice. I need to be able to listen to the right voice. You see, God doesn't want us to purely live out of our intellect. There's nothing wrong with intellect. Build your intellect, stimulate your intellect, think intellectually about the world around you, about your relationships, about your life. I encourage it. But what I'm saying is don't make your intellect your God because God doesn't just always lead us out of our intellect and I think that's one of the problems we have right now. Everything we do is so safe and so structured and so by the book and so intellectual that when God does come and is a little bit outside that box, we've almost trained ourselves to believe it's the voice of the enemy. We've almost trained ourselves to totally block that sort of stuff out because God doesn't speak like that to us. There are so many voices trying to lead us at the moment. Here's a couple. We've got our own intellect telling us what's best, based on the way we've been educated, maybe trained, maybe our own life experiences brought into that. And so all that stuff is screaming at us about the choices we make in life and how we should do them. We've got the media telling us what choices we should be making. This is sound financial advice, that's not. This is good practice, that's bad practice. This is a good place to go, don't go to that country. These people like you, these people don't. You'll associate well here, you'll lose weight over here, you won't lose weight there. Um, vote for us, we'll run the country really, really well. Although nobody says that, they just keep pointing a finger going, don't vote for them because they'll run it really bad. And that's the world that we live in and that's the stuff that we hear all the time. We've got authority figures in our life, mums and dads and teachers and bosses all telling us what they think we should be doing with our world. We've got preachers, people like me standing up here, daring to say, I believe there's a certain way we should live life, and here's my interpretation, here's what I think, and then you'll go home and you'll get on YouTube and you'll listen to another preacher who'll say the complete opposite to me, and he'll be telling you to go another way and so on, and you'll go to Kuron, get another book and go, wow, there's actually three ways to do this now. There's another perspective. Then you've got your peer group, the people that you spend most of the time with, your social ring. They've all got opinions and ideas and ways that you should be living your life and decisions you should be making and so on. And then, of course, we've got just popular culture around us. It defines and tries to tell us this is, this is what normal looks like. And that's what all these voices are all about. They're basically trying to say to us, this decision in this situation is the normal one. Well, I don't believe that God created us to be simply normal. There are moments in time where God will take us outside of normality. But are we open enough to that? Do we listen to the voice of the Spirit inside? Have we learnt to discern it? Have we learnt to discern it? We can learn to hear. I couldn't tell you the amount of times in the Bible that it says, and God said. What is that saying? Is God said. You go through the book of Acts and you look at the early church and how it was birthed. And one thing that's painfully, painfully obvious in that book is that these guys actually had a relationship with God and they actually believed in the presence of the Holy Spirit in the world and they listened to the Holy Spirit. They actually listened to the Spirit of God and did things that I'm sure their intellect would have said, don't do that. 
I'm sure their own experiences would have said, remember what happened last time you did that? You got a flogging. You got beat. Don't do that. That's just stupid. But they learned to listen primarily to God and discern the voice of God in their world and to follow the voice of God. I remember when we got back from India, um, when we first moved back, and we flew into Sydney as a family, and it was winter when we flew back, and we'd come from an Indian, hot Indian summer, and Jackie didn't have a jumper at all. I had a uh, couple of jumpers because I used to drive out to villages at night time, and, and so she'd be tucked away behind me, and I'd be copping all the cold so she could keep warm. But got back to Australia, and she didn't have a jumper. So first day we were there, we got picked up from the airport by her brother. We went um, home. He was living uh, in, in the Shire in Cronulla at the time. And uh, he went off to work and so did his wife. And so we went for a walk downtown. There was me, Jackie, Caleb, and I think Jonathan had just been born, just the four of us. So we said to Jackie, well, let's go to the shopping centre and we'll go and buy you a jumper. And so we chucked uh, Johnny in the pram. We took off downtown and we walked. We didn't, I don't know why we walked, but we maybe Indian stingy and didn't want to pay for a bus. Buses are how expensive in India I can get halfway across the country for that. What are you talking about? So anyway, we walked down to, um, to uh, the big, sh- big Westfield shopping centre down there. I can't remember the name of it. We walked down there. We walked in and we doors open and you go in and there's just four storeys high, whatever, and thousands of shops. And it's like, wow, there's nothing like this where we've been living. Miranda Fair might have been that. Nothing. Nothing even comes close to this where we come from. So we go walking around. We try to find Target because we knew Target was quite upmarket shop. So, so we asked for the local Target. And we went up there and we walked in and we literally walked in the door and looked up. And where we walked in was all the jumpers, the women's jumpers happened to be sort of right there. And we stood there and we looked and there is a hundred colours to choose from. I mean, you buy a jumper in India, you got, you know, black, white and grey. And they all started out as white, but they're just different phases of hanging up for so long. The dust. There's not a lot to choose from colour-wise. So when you go shopping in India, for example, not a lot of options. It made it so much easier to make a choice. And styles and cuts, there's probably three or four different cuts if you're at a fancy shop. So here you go with three or four different styles and two or three different colours, and you just pick your jumper. We walked in there and we saw the massive amount of options all screaming at us. Pick me, pick me, pick me. Sale signs, it's yeah. We ended up looking at each other, we turned around, walked out of the shopping centre, walked all the way back up the street, went into brother-in-law's house, closed the doors and windows and just sat there. And we didn't even buy a jumper. After all that, we just got overwhelmed with the amount of options and the amount of choice that was thrown in our face. And it's a little bit like that, trying to discern the voice of God. It's a little bit like that for believers today. We can be overwhelmed with the amount of voices that are screaming at us. And yelling at us. But in our midst to learn how to discern the voice of God, to learn how to get it right, we don't want to purely build an intellectual faith where if it doesn't make intellectual sense, then we don't want nothing to do with it. It's not God. That is so wrong. But I fear that's where many of us are at. That's where we live our life from. That basis of God speaks, I hear a voice, does it intellectually make sense? A lot of what God calls his people to do has never made sense. Have a good think about it. There are heaps of testimonies in the Bible. Imagine you're leading an army and God says to you, I want you to march around those walls for seven days. They're massive big walls, well made, well constructed. There's a city called Jericho. I want you to march around it for seven days. right? And on the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times and go, Yay! 
And if you do that, I'm going to knock all the walls down. What? Seriously? Are you seriously thinking that we're dumb enough to do that, God? Do you really think that an intelligent army commander, an intelligent person would do that? Do you really think that with my experience? Really? And yet that's what God said. Okay, then don't. Go up against it with rocks and hammers and see what you can do. But I'm telling you, you can put all that time and energy into that or you can do what I'm asking you to do and I'll do what I said I would do. March around, scream. And they did. And guess what happened? The walls fell down. doesn't make intellectual sense. I'm so glad that Joshua wasn't living out of his intellect. Otherwise, we wouldn't have that story in the Bible. Gideon, he's a man that's got enough soldiers with him to win a battle and God comes along and says, you've got too many, I'm going to whittle them down, let's cut it right back to a few hundred and then I'm going to send you into battle. What? Are you serious? God, have you not read the manual on war? This is the whole point. You want to have more people than them, it gives you a greater percentage chance of success. Right now I'm looking good and you're saying cut it in half, what? I'm so glad that Gideon didn't purely live out of his intellect Otherwise, we wouldn't have that story in the Word of God. Jesus is walking along one day and a blind man comes up to him. And obviously this blind man wants to be healed and so Jesus does this. Wipe, 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 wipe. And then says, now go and wash. What? Are you serious? I was clean when I got to you. You spat on the ground, made dirt. You rubbed mud in my eyes and now you're telling me to go and wash. That makes no sense. Come on, Jesus. Why would you do that? I don't know why he would do it. But for whatever reason, Jesus thought, the way you're going to get your healing is I'm going to spit on the ground, make your eyes dirty, and I'm going to make you go and wash your face. And if you do that, if you listen to me, then something great's going to happen in your life. If you don't, who knows what's going to happen? I'm so glad that blind man did exactly what Jesus said, otherwise we wouldn't have that story in the Bible. But I wonder today, if Gideon was in the church in the West... I wonder if Gideon was in this church and God spoke to him and said, do that. I wonder if Joshua was here right now. I wonder if that blind man was here right now. Could God come into this room and could he speak to us in a way that just might not tickle our intellect? It might be slightly left field or right field. But we know that we know that we know it's God. And are we the kind of people who would do that if God said do it? Are we the kind of people that are prepared to live out of our spirit, be guided and led by the Holy Spirit, or are we building a faith that is purely based on what makes sense? If that's the case, a lot of this stuff will never make sense to you. God says, give to receive. It doesn't make intellectual sense. What do you mean, give to receive, Jesus? I've already got it. I've already received it. Why would I give to... It makes no sense. But God says, that's the way the kingdom operates. Bless those who curse you. Hang on a second. Jesus, that makes absolutely no sense. This guy wants to go toe-to-toe with me. I'll go toe-to-toe back with him. Makes sense. Stand up for myself. And Jesus says, you know what? Bless those who curse you. This guy's cursing you, speaking bad about you. You can throw darts back at him if you want. But I'm saying to you, I do things a little bit differently and it might not make sense. And all your friends might think you're a bit of a wuss. And all your friends might be telling you, no, you need to get in his face. And all your friends, and, and the world might tell you this is what a real man is. A real man doesn't, doesn't bless a person who curses. The world, all these other voices might say this, but the Spirit of God's going, no, bless those who curse you. Because he doesn't do everything intellectually. He doesn't do things the way the world does. God has a way of doing things. And when we connect with God's way, that's when we release God to do what God wants to do in the earth. Jesus says you've got to die 
in order to live. Jesus, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. What do you mean die in order to live? I'm alive. I'm here right now. And Jesus says, yep, but you're existing. Because you'll never really know life until you die to yourself, until you die to your own ways, your own dreams, your own, your own experiences, your own stuff, and truly surrender your life over to me, and I will give you life. You see, a lot of what God has said from the book of Genesis through to the book of Revelation, a lot of it doesn't make intellectual sense. Now, I'm not saying we don't use our intellect, but here's what I do. I make what I think is the most biblical and intellectual and smart decision in every situation I make in life. But I'm open in my spirit for God to tell me to do something that might not make sense. Yesterday, I stood up before this group of people. And I, every time I get a chance to share the gospel with people, I want to talk about the love of God. Because it's the goodness of God, it says in Romans, that leads people to repentance. They get enough about legalism and law in the world out there. I always talk grace. For whatever reason, yesterday, you know the Lord said to me? He said, don't. He said, I want you to talk to them. And I might have shared with you guys a few months ago an experience I had when I was listening to the radio about this lady arguing and how it's okay to have boundaries and, and laws and rules and regulations in your workplace, in your school. It's okay to have them in a community centre when you visit. It's okay to have it in the town library when you go. And we're okay with all that. And we live within those boundaries and those rules. And it's okay out there for the police and the government to enforce it. But don't you dare say that God has a rule. God is the only being in the world that's not allowed to have a boundary or a rule. For whatever reason, God is just a fluffy cloud of love that accepts anything and lets you do anything you want whenever you want because you want. Now, I didn't want to share that with this group of people. Here I am in Byron Bay. They could stone me. They, <laughs> several ways they could have stoned me there. But, um, you know, anything could... That's not, that's not me. It's not who I am. But I felt clearly God said, I want you to share that story. To my intellect, it made no sense. But I got my moment and I said, here's what I want to share. And I shared it with these people. And on the back of that, Camo then turned and that's when he started to go, well, let me tell you this, this is what I want to share. And then he testified to the biblical principles I was talking about and he gave personal testimony to these people. Afterwards, I had a few of the, the people in the crowd come up to me. And one lady in particular sort of made sure I wasn't in a big group and wasn't listening to everybody and she came up to me and she said, I just want to let you know, I really needed to hear that. I don't know why, I just know I really need to hear that today. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for that. And I came home in the car and I thought, God, I'm so glad that I went with that even if it's just that one... Because I could have gone with a really funny, cool sort of message. And like, when I did their wedding, I had, I had same-sex couples approaching me saying, oh, when we get married, we want you to marry us. You're so funny or so good. You know, and I, I could have gone that path, but I felt like God said, do something. And so I did that, and I'm so glad that I did that. Because who knows what God will do with that, and who knows what will happen in this person's life. Christy, I'll just get you to come back. We'll finish up. There's something wrong with us. And I say that with great respect. But I look at the fruit of what's being produced in the Western church. Man, we've got churches here with lots of money. We're doing okay. We know how to raise money. I'm not talking here. I'm saying, you know, there are churches out there with lots of money who can raise billions. And we've got, we got speakers out there that will match it with the best of the best in the world. They are entertaining. They are funny. They get their point across. We have the best principles in the world at our fingertips to teach people. We've got it all. And we've got the, the, the abilities, the communicators, all that stuff. But I'm just not seeing the power of God. I'm just not seeing 
the healings. I'm just not seeing what David described. He said, I would have lost hope if I didn't believe I'd see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And I wonder how many of us have given up on seeing the goodness of God in the land of the living. We just plod along through life intellectually, making sure that all our I's are dotted and our T's are crossed. And we don't have that expectation that you open your eyes in the morning and you're going to have to make choices and decisions. And I might have always gone this way, but am I open to the Spirit of God going, today I want you to do this. Today I want you to handle this situation this way because there's something supernatural I want to do. I want to do something. But I can't until you step out in obedience. Are we the kind of people who could honestly stand before God and say, God, I don't care what it is. You tell me and I'll do it. You tell me and I'll do it. I've got this situation, God, and I've been angry and wrestling and struggling, and I'm not hearing anything from you. But God, I'm telling you, you tell me what you want me to do. Even if it's the very antithesis to everything I think I should do. God, I want to make a commitment to you today and say, I'll do it. There's an interesting passage in John chapter 5. And it scares me. Some parts of the Bible scare me. This one does. John chapter 5, verse 37 to 40. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders, the guys that, that knew all the stuff, had a great, great intellectual understanding of what should be done according to the laws and the rules and the regulations. And he says this, he says, The Father himself who sent me has testified of me. Listen to this. You have never heard his voice at any time or seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you did not believe. What a slap in the face with a dead fish that would have been. Here's the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the ones that were teaching the whole nation about Yahweh, about God. And Jesus looked them in the eye and he said this to them. He said, you know what? You have never even heard the voice of God. Why? Because you've already determined that you won't obey. He goes on and he says that um, you do, in verse 38 he says, but you do not have his word abiding in you. What's he talking about? I mean, these guys had more word in them than any of the guys following Jesus. These guys were full of the word at the time. They, the, the Old Testament scripture, they knew them. They were the educators of it. They, had, they were full of it. What does Jesus mean when he says, but you don't, you, don't, you don't even have the word abiding in you? You see, it's, 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 it's God communicating to us. It's not, what he was saying was, you've got this intellectual understanding about God. That's, and that's all it is to you. That's all you care about is building an intellectual faith. That's your goal in life. Make sure you're dotting all the I's, crossing all the T's, and feeling really good about yourself because you're doing all the good stuff. Everything the book says. But Jesus said, you know what? You don't even understand this book because you're not bringing the Spirit of God into that process. And because you don't believe me, because you won't do what I would ask you to do, because you don't want to obey God, you're not hearing him. I find that a bit frightening. I'm a big believer that if you don't want to obey God, that God will withhold his responses. He'll withhold answers. He tells me not to cast my pearl before swine. They'll trample it under their feet. I'm sure he lives by his own remarks. 
because they didn't want to obey God, they didn't hear him. In other words, if you want to genuinely, genuinely obey God, here's the good news. God is speaking to you. He is speaking to you. You just need to discern what he is saying and have the faith to do it. Amen? I want us to be that kind of people. I'm not, everybody that knows me knows I'm not a flake or a quirk. I've got no interest in an uh, emotional type of religion. Having said that, when God shows up, my emotions are usually tickled in some way, shape or form. And I don't mind that. But I'm not an emotional sort of guy and try to force things. I don't believe in that. But I want the reality of God. I want his voice to be clear. I want him to know that if you want something done, you could speak to anyone in Arise Church, Jesus. You could pick a person because we've made the decision that we're going to do whatever it is that you say. We've made the decision that we don't want an intellectual faith only. We don't just want to feel comforted because we obey rules. God, we want the reality of Jesus Christ. We want that Holy Spirit, the one Jesus that you said it's better. It's better for you to have him here than to have Jesus Christ himself in front of you every Sunday teaching you. That's what he was saying. It's better to have the Spirit of God inside of you in your home than it is to have Jesus in the pulpit on a Sunday. That's amazing. Do we believe it? I pray that we do. Just going to bow our heads now. I just want to pray for us. If anything... Uh, I've talked about today or anything sort of touched you or you, you feel like God might be stirring you at all, uh, we would love to pray for you this morning. Um, otherwise, after we've prayed, guys, there's some more tea and coffee up the back, a bit of morning tea there. But please, please let me encourage you. It's just what I'm talking about today. When God speaks to us, respond to him. Respond to him. Maybe you just want a bit of a kickstart, your faith stirred up a bit. Maybe you feel like God is saying something and you know what he's saying, but you just need that bit of push to obey, to do what he's asking. Maybe you realize that you're living more out of your intellect than you are out of your spirit and you need to learn how to discern the voice of God. We would love to pray with you about that. So Father, I want to thank you, uh, Lord, for this morning, God. Thank you for your word. But God, we thank you too. Jesus, you said that the word that you speak are spirit and their life. They're not just words, one-dimensional ink blottings on paper, but they are spirit in their life. Lord, you said that your word is spiritually discerned. Again, Father, it's not just about ink marks on paper, but about bringing the spiritual dimension into that process. And Father, that's what I want to pray for us this morning, Lord, as we go. Holy Spirit, speak to our spirits. Lord, stir us up on the inside. God, make us more and more aware of the spiritual dynamics of life, of that side of, of the world. God, help us to clearly discern your voice, to hear what you're saying. And God, make us the kind of people that have the faith that we would walk around a fortress for you. God, that we would cut ourselves short and go into battle for you. But Father, we would get our hands dirty and messy and risk public ridicule if we know that we're doing it for you. Father, make us that kind of people. Stir our hearts. Stir our spirits. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name.
Everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless guys. Have a fantastic week. I think Connect Groups will be back up and running this week. Uh, like I said, I'm going to hang around up the front. Uh, if anybody would like prayer, we'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great week. Uh, we'll catch up with you next week. Bless you.